Welcome to the Tech Arena, featuring authentic discussions between tech's leading innovators and our host, Allison Klein. Now, let's step into the arena. Welcome to the Tech Arena. My name's Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the Mobile World Congress event in Barcelona, and I am so delighted to be joined by Frank Miller, CTO of Varnish. Welcome to the program, Frank. Don't go. Glad to chat with everybody. So Varnish has been on the show before, but for those who may have missed episode one of the Varnish series, can you just introduce the company and your role? Yeah, so Varnish has been in the content delivery software game since 2005 with open source. And you kind of head into 2010s, we decided to kind of follow the Red Hat route and become enterprise. Mm -hmm. So we do support right now some of the largest content delivery folks in the world. Mm -hmm. And we have many value props, right? But I think the main one, once again, is just the robustness of the platform. We're just phenomenally efficient. Mm-hmm. Right. So from a cost perspective, we have a significant advantage with the other folks in the current arena, like mm-hmm. your, you know, your yeah. the cost basis, but we're phenomenally open. So from a Lego block perspective, it really is easy to build on um, unique intellectual property for a lot of the enterprises. But my role as a CTO, yeah, I've been a CTO for goodness gracious, maybe nearly 20 years across various industries. Now, the content delivery space has obviously gone through a tremendous amount of transformation during the pandemic when everybody was sitting in their homes waiting for content to be delivered. I don't think that content delivery was ever as exciting before that as as it was when we actually realized the criticality of the use case. Tell me how that that influenced technology development during the time and where are we today with tech? Really interesting because technology it has always done two things. Number one, it's tried to reduce the cost basis. Mm-hmm. And then also it's tried to do top line, right? To create new opportunities, generate uh, revenue. Over 20 years, I've watched technology go from single user box things, right? Because I built mobile networks. Mm-hmm. Right. All the way to everything just abstracted compute that you can do many things from broadband all the way to deliver different software as a services from the same invested platform. So you have one thing that has many sources of revenue generation. That's where content delivery has gone. Content delivery started in boxes. Right. And now it's just another workload that you run either in the cloud or your own bare metal that Mm -hmm. might be supporting many things. Right. So that's the biggest change in industry. There's always a competitiveness and pressure. What I found, though, that's interesting, and this is more personal. So I used to be an embedded system that engineer at mm-hmm. Tektronix for seven years. Mm-hmm. We used to developing and leading, running phenomenally efficient code bases. And I've actually built two public clouds and always was challenged with the mindset of public cloud engineers are just unlimited. Right. Well, guess what? It's a new age, <laughs> right? We don't have unlimited mm-hmm. stuff, and there's an opportunity to optimize. And that's, I think... We'll discuss more of that uh, during the interview. Okay. And you had some of the value prop last year. Right. Focus. Right. Yeah. Now, when I look at the solutions that you offer, um, you know, I read about web app performance acceleration, content delivery, telco edge solution delivery, reverse proxy, and HTTP acceleration caching. Make yeah. sense of this to me sure. in terms of the end-to-end solutions that you're delivering and the customers that you're serving. It's all about... Think, think of us like Lego blocks that deal with doing, you know, we even do, can do a forward proxy, forward reverse proxy for anything HTTP. Mm-hmm. 
Luckily, content, of course, over the top is delivered via HTTP protocol. So we can deliver streaming content, on-demand content, software downloads, mm -hmm. right? But what's interesting is um, we've also can accelerate API. So API is like you have on your application. Everything underneath is still going through HTTP to a web server. There's different web-based API protocols mm -hmm. and still is an origin server serving up those H those requests, those API right. requests. So we help that too. So anything HTTP, we can help. The last one is you'll see that we've released some stuff tied to Artifactory, mm -hmm. right? That's also HTTP-based. So we can help with JPROC, for instance, on servers. We can help on API gateways so you can work load off. We, if it's HTTP, we can help. Okay, nice. Yeah. Now, you know, I know that you guys like to talk about performance. Every time I talk to you, mm -hmm. you're setting some sort of performance record. Mm -hmm. um, and you're also looking at performance efficiency. Yes. Tell me where we are today with performance. What drives it and how do you improve it? Yeah, so from a performance basis, um, at least last year, that was low-hanging fruit. We worked with our partners at Intel Labs and really looked at how to get the most out of the CPU, how to get the most out of memory, the most out of disk. At the end of the day, if you look at a perfect system, you shouldn't see any locks or blocks anywhere. It should just be water flowing down a pipe mm -hmm. for content being delivered to the network interface. That's a beautiful analogy. Oh. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. I don't think reality works like that to all the time. Into a water hose and mm -hmm. you know, other piping systems. But yeah, so that's really what we did. And we're fascinated. How much could we get by just applying good software engineering, you know, mm -hmm. a kernel to operating system and hardware knowledge, which is almost like a lost art these days. Right. Um, it's really hard to find people who know this very well. Luckily, we have a crew in Oslo and a Stockholm with absolute wizard. So some of the original wizards at Varnish from the early days are still here. Mm -hmm. um, but what we discovered is that first last year, we were able to use about one-fifth or one-sixth of the power. Well, it depends on the workload. That's amazing. I would have been happy with, you know, a half, you know, double increase. Mm -hmm. um, we were astounded. That's number one there. But what's more important this year, so... So we set the record in a single system for how many um, bits you could put out, which right. was uh, 1.2 to 1.3 terabits. We've got a little bit above that, 1.4, you know, we keep on playing with mm -hmm. things. But what was more efficient was looking at the power. So if you go to 2022, we cut, we hit the record at about maybe 386 megabits per watt. Mm -hmm. We sat there in the room and said, let's hit the top line mark, but let's do a, uh, let's do a moonshot. Let's see if we can do above a gigabit per watt. Wow. And see what happens. And we hit that. We hit um, uh, 1.18 gigabits per watt. Keep in mind, these are not science fiction systems. These are systems you buy off the shelf. No super hardware accelerators. Right. This is just good software engineering practices. Mm -hmm. So we did that. But then we saw, you know what? What's the value of this? Mm -hmm. How much money can you save? So over the last year, and it'll, it'll be published, I should be published by next week. We did a study, literally, what does this mean? on watts. Mm -hmm. So we took legacy systems and the 100 gigabit per second. We looked at a one terabit workload over five years. And with those variants, how many, from a megawatt hour perspective, how many megawatt hours you see? Mm -hmm. So we looked at this. It was fascinating. If you unfortunately have legacy systems and 10 gig interfaces, um, you'll save 90% in megawatt hours if you just build a 400 gig system. That's crazy. That's yeah. nuts. But we saw, well, what if you have a 100 gig system? Most modern bare metal networks to see are 100 gig 
you save a little bit above 60%, maybe about mm -hmm. 64%. And that's still amazing. On the system, we would have bought yeah, last no, 60% is crazy. It is crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. Then we turned it into dollars. We took at the look at the cost and we got the same results, right? Mm -hmm. So it was right. we uh, converted it. It's pretty significant. It's literally, I think, the cost of over memory. Please don't quote me. Mm -hmm. It'll be published next week. I think looking at the cost for that one terabit of a 10 gig system came to about 120 some thousand per year in power. If you do it with a 400 gig system, it's about 12,000 per year that's, in a power yeah. bill. That's significant study we did on purpose because just saying, Hey, we got this incredibly fast mm -hmm. piece of software. What does it mean? So it's yeah. okay. It looks, you know, most major folks like get Paramount's and Disney's or, you know, mm -hmm. the zone have one terabit. Problems. Right. And so if you have brown built stuff, if we use today's system at 400 gig, it's still not that expensive. How much money are you actually spend? Yeah. And that's enough to do a good uh, return on investment calculation for anybody. So full analysis should be published within a week. I can't, oh. I can't wait to dig into that because what yeah. you're describing, you know, I've always thought about the move to 400 gig is yeah. something about performance, but yeah. this is really getting to the yeah. heart of the economics. Yeah, it is. And keep in mind, we're being conservative. Actually, on a one U system, you can do 800 gig. Mm -hmm. Two U, you can put you know 1.6 terabit. Yeah. So we said, okay, that's gonna let's just cut that in half, mm -hmm. do an analysis, and see what happens. But those numbers will will be out. The other thing we did is um we wanted to to say that you just don't have to run the largest system. Mm -hmm. So we did an analysis of running multiple families all the way down to maybe medium to the smallest family to see if we could stay above the one terabit per per watt boundary. Uh -huh. We did stay there, I think. It was down to about a 200 gig system. Starts to decline a little bit until you get like a Xeon date. Right. But if you look at the future, so if you go like a uh, CR4, so Xeon Z will have a, an embedded 100 gig net. That's fantastic. Right. So we'll test that too. So we're going to focus over the next 12 months trying to keep that efficiency down to that last bit, those entry-level processors systems. Mm -hmm. When you talked earlier about moving from just serving content providers to moving into enterprise, yeah, what has that changed in terms of the types of solutions that you're delivering? And do enterprises have any different requirements that are notable? I think it's tied to availability and customer experience. So what we see there is, you know, high availability, which is one of the reasons we for varnish enterprise performance. Keep in mind these performance metrics are not from varnish cash. Mm -hmm. In varnish enterprise, we actually took a look at the bottlenecks in, in varnish cash, which is in memory management and file system management in, mm -hmm. in Linux, and actually improved that. So you know, performance matters, high availability matters, and also the ability to have intelligence. So right. we added a, a controller reference on top of this that allowed you to easily manage complex global caching configs, multi, you know, federated caching configs easily. Mm -hmm. We created this, uh, you know, reference architecture to perform, you know, vertical scaling, horizontal scaling, you know, awareness, easy push out and integration into any type of engineering, mm -hmm. um, you know, integration testing pipeline. Fantastic. Now it's MemWC24, and I yeah. would be totally not a great okay. host of my okay. podcast if I didn't ask you. When you look at this landscape, you look at what your technical yeah. teams are doing. 
How does AI enter into this? And do you see <laughs> AI helping with automation of this? Or, you know, is there any link? What's interesting is there's two links here. So link number one, you're exactly right, is the operational efficiency, keeping the stuff going from root cause and predictive analysis. We're, we're, we're actually working on this. We're looking at the models of how to run varnish as best as possible because we have all these uh, knobs. So we can walk real time. We're looking at be able to see if, if there's a problem, what is the problem, then automatically make the chain, but also predict this coming. If we see this coming, there's other opportunities in AI in, in predictive caching. So mm-hmm. we, because the cache changes over the day, right, of what people watch. So if we can observe that, we can, you know, prefetch and put these things out there and actually change the dynamics. Right. Um, you know, it could be soap operas, right? It could be, you know, sports, or whatever it is, we can figure it out. What I'm really interested in too is security. Sure. So it's anomaly detection. Um, I, I used to be a security monk too. I did sort advisories in the day, but um, zero day exploits really bothering. Mm-hmm. So being able to catch something that there's no signature for and being able to uh, adapt and, you know, take care of this and like raise a flag and right. say, hey, there's something going on. We're going to dampen this down. You know, come take a look at the logs. We haven't seen this before. Um, the other one that's interesting from a security perspective is, you know, even AI coming at you or, um, you know, people doing scraping of content, you should be able to stop this too. So there's various AI use cases where we're building now and looking to productize in 2025. So it's a customer experience tied operations. Just, you know, we want to protect the customer experience. We don't want churn, but it's also from a security perspective, mainly tied to, you know, um, Things that you just can't put a signature around. You really have to look at anomalous and statistical behavior and other, sorry, AI frameworks mm-hmm. to make a change. What's interesting is our architecture reference, how we're doing this is different. Most AI platforms go to the mothership. Sure. And the mothership makes the decision and kind of this stuff. That's not good enough. Mm-hmm. We really feel that AI should also be federated. Models should be light and tight and actually push to the edge. Right. To the edge CDN create policies that say, hey, when you see these things, you can do this, this, and this. So we'll create a framework where you have AI models and you can have policies for these, whether you want it to do this, whether you want, you know, person in the middle, mm-hmm. right? Or whether you just want notifications. We're working on this framework now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The AI at the edge keeps coming up in interviews yeah. and both from a standpoint of folks who are looking to accelerate it and folks that are looking at it as something that needs to be developed more quickly in their solutions. So the fact that you're saying this is just another data point of this is a, this is a broader trend. Talking about broader trends, we're at MWC, it's day two. What have you seen from the industry that's interesting across the MWC landscape? And what do you think we're going to be talking about in 24? It's interesting. I've seen two things. I've seen more acceptance of ORAN, mm-hmm. which I, you know, I expected. Yeah. I, you know, ORAN is complicated because you need a testing reference to get you know, finally, all the vendors to come in okay. and agree to get together and certify their end to end five and to be 6G system. Um, ho- hopefully, ORAN, I know that's just the RAN side, right? But takes the lessons of what didn't work with Mano, right? Because we went through that phase, right? And still, because I built 4G and 5G mm-hmm. networks with discrete components, I did it with Mano, but I couldn't get um, support from right. the vendors unless I bought their complete. 
box. The, the stovepipe solution. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just costs just as much to find the boxes. Mm-hmm. So everything. So where we're pivoting now to more containerized references, at least ORAN, mm-hmm. right, on, on that side of the network, end-to-end common certification. I'm hoping that changes the cost dynamics, number one. Number two, they, you know, met, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's now multi-use. And that's another workload. I think a unique use case on the CDN side is you, if you have extra cores at the edge for Mac that's not doing your, you know, your baseband right. you know, work and stuff like that, run a CDN. Mm-hmm. An edge CDN right next to the edge packet gateway is perfect. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You want to talk about cutting down latency, you're right there. Mm-hmm. That's going to pull tens of milliseconds of latency out of the equation. So I think there is an opportunity to... Um, you know, edge CDNs now, at least where folks have MNO assets are on the net, the, sorry, the net framework as close as possible to the customer. Cause that'll be better for the uh, customer experience. So I think that's a change too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Frank, I'm really looking forward to seeing this paper. Are you guys talking about anything else at MWC this week that's notable? I think that's the big one. It, mm-hmm. It's really about the value prop. And I think the other notable thing I'm going to toot our horn a little bit is what happened at the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. right? So at the Super Bowl, um, and check out the uh, LinkedIn article. But we really, the load to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, there were problems like going in the bowl. And um, our partners at Paramount Plus, we were in the war room with them. We basically, by the end of the Super Bowl, had 75% of, <laughs> of the content protect the customer experience. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's a demonstration. And they were actually... They weren't surprised. We'd already finished this, but we were there to help. And I think at the end of the day, um, it, you know, we're just there for customer success and that's paramount and their customers. That's a great example of enterprise resilience right there. It, absolutely. So for those of you listening online, definitely read that Super Bowl paper. It's a good one. And then I'll be sending out a link to um, your power efficiency on 400 gig as soon as it's available. Yep. Where else can folks go to get information about Varnish Solutions? solutions oh could you just go to um, you know varnishsoftware.com um i i think we have a pretty good uh web presence that actually goes through all the solutions goes to the history code examples you know a very deep examples and um if you really want to go crazy oh i don't have the book here we actually have about an 800 page <laughs> varnish and journals that are a program because i think that's the other unique thing about varnish that, that we don't discuss a lot is um we have an engine, all these features you can glue mm-hmm. on, but it's also an open language and it's process language and our varnish configuration language. If you write a unique piece of IP that you want to do, it's actually compiled and linked into the runtime. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this process slow language. You're actually building your own software framework. That's why it was so popular with the big folks. Right. Because they can create unique IP and it runs at execution time. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the program today. It was so good to get to know you and learn more a little a little bit more about what's going on at Varnish. Thank you, Allison. Appreciate it. And uh, like I said, um, I'm available. If anybody has any questions, you can just check out my LinkedIn page and just you know uh, just message me. I'll answer. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Tech Arena. Subscribe and engage at our website, thetecharena.net. All content is copyright by The Tech Arena.